Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Go Out and Talk to Strangers. This is Adi, the Nomad Architect, and this is a place where I'm sharing with you ideas and inspiration, hosting founders, entrepreneurs and extremely talented people to share their experience with us. And today we have physically with us, Williams. Hello, Williams. How are you doing it? <laughs> Williams is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Beehive Living. It's an international co-living business whose mission is to reinvent shared living. And we actually met in one of the Lisbon Digital Nomads meetup. At the Web Summit. Yeah, it was the week of Web Summit, right. Mm-hmm. In a party. And then um, I learned about his amazing business. And I have to thank him because uh, after our meeting, I, I decided to go... Um, and go along with this interview project and to share more inspiration with other people. So thank you for that. Wow, that's great. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> so I want to... Let, let's, let's see how you got here to Portugal. So you were born and raised in Brazil, right? Yeah. And then you went to study in the UK where you developed your first business. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I was born in Brazil and I spent the last 25 years in the UK. You could say actually that I have, I have lived the vast majority of my life in the UK mm-hmm. now. And uh, just a couple of years ago, I decided to, to shake things up a little and, and change my, my lifestyle. Um, and the idea of moving to another country was, was triggered by that. The desire to have a different lifestyle, one that's more natural, more in tune with my, what I feel, my values, my purpose. And, and Portugal matched that. I could mm-hmm. have gone to many places. When I came to Portugal, I really felt there was the sense that it was the right place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there wasn't much about this, um, there wasn't a, crit- a specific criteria. The criteria was, was really, it needs to feel right and, and, and felt right and feels right now that I'm here. Mm, so you just follow your gut. Yeah, I could say. <laughs> I could say, yeah. That's amazing. So what, what did you study? How did you end up doing co-living spaces? So Nothing to do with what I study. Actually, uh, <laughs> um, an, an interesting thing about me uh, is that none of the things I have studied actually have uh, translated into or I created a business that is associated with that. To me, Universal has been an inspiring place that has helped me to... What I got out of it was to try to, uh, frameworks to think about um, particular challenges, particular business, particular as I started in the UK, that's very much what Universal is about. It's mm-hmm. about, is that that you think is not there. I never interpret Universal as a place where you learn a profession. I always wanted to call, go out there and, and design design mm-hmm. my own profession mm-hmm. and design my own life so yeah so yeah studying the uk but none of the things that i have done at university tend to be associated with the things i have created in terms of business models mm. having said that my first degree in the uk was urban planning oh come on so i may have <laughs> i may have come back you know it's likely to that you mm-hmm. know without realize but um but it wasn't intentional by any means mm-hmm. this was a long time ago Okay, but there is something left in the way you think about the city, about the space, I guess, coming from that background. 
I, I think so. I, I think the main thing that uh, I learned during that time that I'm, I'm seeking to apply to this project is the concept of sustainable development. Mm -hmm. Was studying urban planning that I, I got in, in I, I, I found out about the sustainable development and particularly the human influence in the, in the, the built and the natural environment in which we live. And that has been a big inspiration for this project mm -hmm. to make sure, you know, we actually um, we make the most of what we have in terms of housing resources and whatever we pass to the, the next generation in terms of housing stock, we, 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 we pass something that's coherent, that's aligned to their to the way of living, but also something of quality, something that has been done properly. In a mm -hmm. way. Um, but also at the same time, as we're building these spaces, we need to make sure we are... We build space in an energy-efficient way. We build spaces which um, is environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. We build the space in a way that induces uh, uh, the best in people, um, and that really promotes the well-being. And mm -hmm. that's uh, and I think to me that goes to the heart of sustainable development. Of course, yeah. but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves because uh, I think our listeners don't really know uh, what is it exactly that you do uh, and how did you got to do it. So I would like to hear. Like when did you hear it for for the first time about co-living? Well, the first time I heard about co-living, uh, I think I was on a I was on an exploration trip mm -hmm. in in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, and um, I was at the time looking for for something that I could do in terms of a business model that would support this massive growth in entrepreneurship that we experience in the world. Um, what like, we are seeing when was it? Like, well, it's only about two and a half years two ago. And oh, wow. Two and a half. So it's, it's mm -hmm. not a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I took usually between roles. What I tend to do is take a one year to six months to one year sabbatical, mm -hmm. and it's a time that I use to free much, get in tune with myself, mm -hmm. and and it's a time that I I tend to ask myself what is next for me, and that tend to trigger all sorts of reactions. So I have to go to places to think what is next. Oh, I, I can totally understand that. Being in different places really free your mind to new new ideas and new people, networking, everything. So. Yes, and you know, you and in and the other thing uh, I think it tends to happen is that as you bring the noise down, in terms yeah. of your whole life, you start to listen to yourself more. Mm. And there, I think there you started to really discern what is things that are exciting versus things that are that I could say is almost like a calling it's something that is really true to to you in terms of what you want to create in the world and mm -hmm. I think you need to bring that noise down and part of this to go to places where you you can be by yourself and 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 explore yet but have that moment where you reflect on what you see so what did you see in the Netherlands that got you interested? Yeah, so I was looking for a, uh, for a, a way to contribute to this massive growth entrepreneurship. I saw what co-working did to the world of entrepreneurship by creating a more affordable solution for entrepreneurs in terms of a space where they could create the their and create and develop their ideas mm -hmm. into into a business. And I wanted to create a similar solution that was scalable, that was international, uh, that was relevant to people's lives. In this trip, what I did, I thought I said, maybe I'm gonna go into create a new generation of co-working spaces. That's what I was looking for, mm -hmm. that I was fishing for. 
But then as I started to explore and spend a lot of time in different co-working spaces and talk to different entrepreneurs in different parts of the Netherlands, and in particular on that trip, people start to think, they start to tell, tell me about what happens outside their life, outside entrepreneurship. And one of on the regular comments I used to get is like, I constantly have to make this compromise. If I go and mm. work in a nice co-working space, I can't afford a really nice place to live. So I have to go to a place that's perhaps not, is not aligned to my aspirations and it's not the best place that I could, could afford. So people are constantly being triggered to make these really hard choices. Mm-hmm. And, and my mind was like, why it needs to be like that? And, and then it's not that I saw already a co-living space. I didn't, I felt, okay, there is something housing that needs to be done. And then from then on, I start to explore what is that that needs to be done? What is the business model? What, what are people's challenges? What, you know, how I can translate, you know, people's challenges into, into, into an opportunity mm-hmm. that it's what it became in terms of co-living. Mm-hmm. And... In that time, you were living in... In London. In London. Okay, big city, a lot of people. And I, I used to live in London, so I know that. It, it, there, there is always so many people around you, but I, I had the feeling that I'm a little bit alone. Like, I would go to work, and I would go, come back to my apartment, and there was nobody to meet, like, other than my flatmates that I already knew, and yeah. they had their own stuff going on. Uh, I, I, I was a bit lonely in London. Uh. Well, I can tell you that you're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's part of the reason why uh, shared living is booming around the world. Uh, what we have seen the past two decades, the, the numbers of people between 18 and 35 uh, living in a shared living space or cohabiting has doubled. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the first statistics I found, and then I went on a search to find why. And the three answers I, I got was, one, that greatest urbanizations make seats more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 1900s, we used to, uh, only 10% of us used to live in cities, now we have 55% of us living in cities. But when you look, uh, look at the trend, it's about to accelerate. Um, you know, by 2050, it's estimated that 75% of, uh, of us will be living in cities. And that brings uh, some major challenge for us. Because one of the things that means is that we need to be building 96,000 homes between nine and them, now and then, oh, wow. in order to cope with that. That also means that we are bringing another 3 billion people into the home environment. And that's a massive challenge and that requires innovation and, and think differently about housing and co-living is part of, I would say, is one of the components of the solution. The second thing is the thing you described. We are more connected than ever, um, but at the same time, we have one third of the world's population that feels more isolated than ever. Yeah. And the people that feel more isolated than ever is the one that you least expect. The, the younger generation, millennial generation and, and Gen Z that, you know, I would say between 16 and 24 years old, this affects every segment of society. But particularly look at that segment of society, the younger one that are the ones that use mostly social media platforms and and other ways of, of engaging and connecting in using technology. These, these are the people that tend to feel most isolated. Mm-hmm. And I had the feeling that, you know, community is the antidote to that. The challenge we have is that nodes of community are disappearing. So when you think of the traditional 
nodes of community. You think of the church, the pub, um, you think of the clubs, mm-hmm. they are disappearing. Um, in London, I went to look at statistics, like in London, in, in the past 10 years, more than 500 churches have been turned into residential development. Wow. So, uh, you know, these are spaces where people come to be together and they get to know and they get to to have real conversations outside of these very artificial uh, platforms, which are all part of, and I enjoy being part of Facebook and, and LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but the reality is why we're connected to maybe thousands of people there are maybe just a, a few of them, a handful of them, that you can be truly rely on them. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think the third thing is that this is a reflection of a new way of thinking, a, a new culture, yeah. and that's the the impact that the millennials are having in every segment of business and 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 um, and society. You know, uh, they are thinking about these things very differently. They value service-based ownership and. It just means they are not prepared to spend and and make the sacrifices for a home mm-hmm. uh, or to buy a home that perhaps the the, the parents have done. You know that that mm-hmm. was a, a massive goal. As soon as you come into an adult life, you start to save to have a home. Yeah, for that's them. the dream, right? Yeah. To, to get a, a job in a company, stay there forever, so you can pay for a home that you don't have time to spend in because you're busy at the work that you have to pay for the home. And this is this paradox just keep feeding itself and those millennials coming and they say we don't want to play this game you know we want to wake up in the morning doing something we believe in and we don't want to pay huge loans for houses yeah yeah and also as you described you know they they are the generation that uh, you know they tend to have an average 11 times 11 jobs on their lifetime so they mm. they move about more than previous generations and when I say move about not only in terms of the physical location but also in terms of the jobs mm-hmm. so um, making uh, a huge investment very early in their careers main I can see why it doesn't make sense yeah. for them mm-hmm. um, and and I think in a way uh, you know the reason why co-living is growing is because of this because in a way, it connects two massive dots of modern life. On one side, we have what people can afford, and that's the economy, the economic reality, let's put that way, versus what people's aspirations, mm-hmm. which is the way I want to live. And co-living, in many ways, brings joins that more than other real estate strategies or other housing solutions that exist, like the, uh, that exist out there right now. We bring flexibility, convenience. We bring a way uh, of living that's more attuned in terms of the way we conceptualize the spaces, more social way of living, leveraging more technology, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Actually, technology we didn't talk about, but that's a big part of... Yeah, of Let, let's talk about it. How do you use technology uh, in your vision? I mean, the way it was funny, the way we, we started to, to use technology... Um, we start to realize out of the focus groups and, and discussions we had had that one of the big gap in in the market was uh, was that the houses that were in the market and the spaces that were being developed they were they were not aligned with with people's expectations of mm. of the way they want the technology to facilitate a particular way of living. Can you give a specific example? Yes, for instance. Um, these days we know we can have something as simple as dish locks. A lot of people, um, they want to have the convenience of, you know, if they have um, 
a friend or someone coming to see them mm -hmm. to be able to access their space of they have you know someone deliver a parcel or they bought something from Amazon for instance yeah why they need to wait for a particular time of the day when they're going to be home so that someone can deliver that parcel why not have a digital lock that they can open from wherever they are in the city they can open the door of the house knowing that person is now Amazon you know a person and that person they open the door delivers the thing and they go Mm -hmm. uh, what a, when they have a relative or a girlfriend or boyfriend or, or, or a mom or a dad come to see them why they have to go and pick up the keys at work and come back to the place mm -hmm. why not they can issue a, a code and the person get through so the door so you have remote control for the for the doors that that's the that's the solution uh, that's the solution that's what we have it mm. took us a, a while to do but essentially it's not necessarily remote control we provide people for safety and convenience with different ways of, of access the, the their space. So mm -hmm. in our, in our co-living spaces, you can open the door using your phone. Mm -hmm. If your phone is dead, you can, <laughs> you can use a code because okay. that happens. And, and if the code doesn't work or the phone doesn't work, you have a fob too. You have a what? A fob. Fob? So it's essentially, it's something that you put in your key ring. It's a tiny little thing and never bothers you. You don't have okay. that massive key. You have this little like uh, plastic thing, uh, a sheep, and you, okay. can just, uh, you can just touch that and, and the door is open. Oh. But the same thing you can do is actually you can, if you need someone to access the property before, you can shoot them with a code and mm -hmm. then they, they, they can come in the house before you and start mm -hmm. to organize their life. and maybe start cooking or doing whatever you... That's wonderful. I love the fact that you do focus groups before to study the market and to, to, to really understand people's needs. So I, I would be really interested to hear more about what you discovered, like if you had any assumptions before and... Okay, so you thought people need ABC and then you discovered what? Like that people want something different. Uh, I think that, you know, there is a I think there are two things we have seen front focus group is that there are some of our assumptions, hypotheses about the business that were confirmed and some that were discredited. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, one that was confirmed is that indeed people want that more social way of living. There was a question for us whether people actually, do people really want to live together? Do people, uh, does that brings them to a, a time of their lives, for instance, we're talking about the UK where most people, when they go to university, they go in a place that's not the the place they were born, so mm -hmm. they tend to go to student housing places and they have going living student residence. So, does this brings that to a time of their life that you know they were in a, in a different kind of um, mindset mm -hmm. and adult, and, uh, right? Uh, adult life. Yeah. yeah. Enough with the well, parties. that time they were they were parties <laughs> and everything, but does this bring that back to that and mm -hmm. people will they enjoy? Mm -hmm. And what realized that people, yes, they want to live together. They, 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 we have people in our spaces today that they actually own homes, they own flats. Oh. Uh, and they, we ask them, so why on earth do you want to live with us? And they, they tell, listen, let me tell you, my experience before behind living was that I would come from work, I would uh, cook, and then I would do one of the two things, either spending time in front of the television or I would go and spend time on social media interacting mm -hmm. talking to different people or read a book mm -hmm. and then I would do that for two three hours and then it would be the end of my day and then next day starts again it's the same monotonous thing again 
where the you know at a hive the experience is very different because every day we have people that you can cook with yeah and and that common moment is the moment I would say food is the one thing that universal it really bonds people together and that's where you get really have to know each other and I think is a in a on a much more intimate way mm-hmm. because you can see what you're gonna cook for for yourself you're gonna eat together and and people open up and yeah. and but also there are other things that people do sometimes there are events that are organized by them by us mm-hmm. they never know what to expect but there is always something to something do there is always on. an experience okay. and the day they don't want that experience they go to their room or to their flat and they close the door and mm-hmm. they have the lonely moment mm-hmm. so you, they um, have a choice that, they have a choice good. okay uh, so that's one of the things that was confirmed yes people want to live together the thing that was discredited was this thing that we felt actually we need to go to really really large spaces if we're gonna as we scale this business we are gonna go to you know 130 150 300 units and Mm -hmm. the more we researched into this we realized that people um they're not so keen on that that's the direction Colleen is going and I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the right direction. Like I know that big scale of are you talking about one building that has so many units in yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, the largest Colleen space in the world has about I think five hundred sixty units. Mm, wow. And you can get uh, you can get uh, cohesion, community cohesion, but at one point it's gonna get you want or not it's gonna get similar to a hotel because you know, you no longer know your neighbor. Yeah. And it's part of the, the tension in Colleen. And uh, uh, we, we as uh, operators need to, to deal with that tension between something that's perhaps more transient, you know, um, I'm here for a bit and I, I, uh, I don't mind knowing everyone mm-hmm. versus the intimacy of actually I want to know everyone and I want them to know me. Yeah. And something that instead of being transient is something that's a little bit more permanent, you mm-hmm. know, this is my home. And I, w- I intend to live here for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So what is the period of time that people spend in, in co-living projects, in your project? Like, do you have a minimum time? We don't do night stays a business. We're not a service apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want people to um, get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And we, so we don't cater for people who want to stay a week. Okay, uh, so let's say I want to join the community. Uh, I would say you usually, um, we have a, a waiting list. We're very privileged to have a waiting oh, list of wow. people. But Wonderful. usually we would, would consider people three months onwards mm-hmm. uh, at this moment in time. The average uh, for us tend to be about eight months right now. Eight months. That's a great way to filter if people are really interested, you know, if they're willing to wait on a waiting list. That means they're really interested in this kind of life. They don't only want to... Maybe they don't have other options or things like that. I think they, they have, they, they, you know, there is a lot mm-hmm. of people who come to see us and they, they, they're very much prepared to, to, to move, but that wasn't the right context for them. And that's one of the, when I say not the right context at that moment in time is that our communities are curated. Mm-hmm. So we feel the people. And the reason we do that is that we want to make sure the experience is as rich as possible. Okay. Uh, so what uh, and what that means is that in practical terms is that is we don't want a community that's that is only female, that is only male, or there mm-hmm. is only one nationality, or there is only one people, people only one background. So let's say if we have a space that has twelve people and we have um, all of a sudden seven people of the same nationality, or that never, but let's say 
four people the same nationality. Mm-hmm. If there is a good person of that nationality that we think is a suitable candidate for us, comes through the door, but that's the only vacancy we have, mm-hmm. and we have the choice of another person, would would actually even if you have a choice, would wait and find another person, another another, person. of another nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in our experience, what ended up happens, you ended up a community of pockets, yeah, and and groups like subgroups within Sub, the main group. Subgroups. Mm-hmm. No, that naturally happens. As long as it happens for natural reasons, a uh, very organic reason, you became friends. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you share, uh, uh, perhaps some things more with some people. There, are, there is an element of of um, I would say of being more in tune with that, that particular uh, uh, a subset of individuals. What we don't want is that, you know, people come as friends and they don't interact with the rest of the community or, mm-hmm. or that particular group of the same nationality don't interact with the rest of the community mm-hmm. yeah. because they want to stay in their own bubble. And, so how and that's do you filter funny. people? What do you ask them to know their true intentions? I think the first one is why would you like to live in co-living? Have, mm-hmm. have they lived in a co-living on a shared living space in the past? Why do they think Colivi would be a good solution, given where they are in their life? Mm-hmm. Why Colivi? Why now? And why our space? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. also there are different types of Colivi spaces. So we, we, we ask all these questions to them, and we pretty much have a conversation. We, mm-hmm. we, we tell them we are not trying to have an, an interview here. We're having conversation to make sure we, we get it right for you. It's not for us. Yeah. Because if you get it right for you, um, then you not only you uh, you stay longer with us but also even if you don't stay longer we will be an ambassador for behind living wherever you go but if you don't make sure it get right for you then that's not going to happen and we will mm-hmm. lose uh, as an operator so yeah so the sort of questions is like a lot of why questions why why call living why now why, why this particular place and, and everything we tell them about the other residents mm-hmm. and and we tend to ask questions like how are we going to contribute to this so I mm. told you we have an architect we have this so how do you think what do you think you can bring to this community and they tend to be a bit perplexed by this sort of question <laughs> it's like I thought I was just gonna pay for a space yeah and get some question, services mm. and get some services the house looks cool and then all of a sudden i have to contribute to what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment if they start to look like a, a little bit you know that's beyond them then you know that's not the right place for them mm-hmm. if they go yeah you know i play guitar <laughs> you know when you guys have barbecues and everything i, I can come and play does anyone else play mm-hmm. anything and then when they get into sort of that mood and, and they start to smile, you know, uh, that's the right person. That, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I also like the way you use food. So you said people cook together. And I think, I think food is a very good way to connect people with each other's tradition and history and like family recipes. And it, it really brings people together. Absolutely, but also, uh, you know, I absolutely agree with you, but it goes beyond that. It's mm-hmm. also a, a unique way in people can demonstrate to each other how they care about that individual. Mm-hmm. For instance, last week we had a situation that one of our residents, uh, she was working quite a lot. It's just a period of the year where she's working long hours. And then the residents came together and cooked her meal. So she arrives with like, you know, like quarter to midnight and she wrote a note to everyone like, guys, thank you so much. Mm. Because if I live alone, 
I would have to go and have a takeaway or have to go and, you know, being mm -hmm. really tired and come and have to cook. And the guys send a note, listen, don't eat or try to buy food in your way in. Mm -hmm. We fought that. We know that you're going through to, 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 to that moment that mm -hmm. we always go, we all go through that we are too busy. Mm -hmm. And 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 she was touched by that. We were touched by that. That that, that happened in our community, and and that's and that's why we do this. So this is like a support system. Yeah. I mean, we know you're too busy. Of course, you can afford buying a meal, but imagine your flatmates making that meal for you. That that's amazing. Yeah, and then also for us, tells that people are communicating. They are, you know, they everyone knew that she was going through that hard time in that particular moment mm -hmm. and someone had the idea yes let's do that for her and 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 that's the sort of thing that you get in co-living that mm -hmm. makes the whole thing magical so what do you have in the co-living like if if i want to to picture it so you have different rooms different apartments yes uh, so uh, i think the thing that defines co-living is really the common areas mm -hmm. so we do have the habitual spaces and when i say i'm um, using perhaps a, a word that's a bit technical. <laughs> so what the habitual space is either an in-suite room, we have your room with uh, your own private bathroom, mm -hmm. or you have uh, a flat. Okay. That is also your private flat. No one gets in that space, only you, unless you invite them, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a whole, um, a whole bunch of different areas. And this area is what we try to do in co-living and which is very different from the way people build hotels or, or, or student residents. We try to minimize as much as possible the amount of dead space, the amount of space that, let's say, a corridor that uh, has a functional mm -hmm. in terms of the physical space, mm -hmm. but has no function in terms of people's lives. Yeah. No one is going to use that for anything beyond just walking. So what we try to do is try to mi minimize that and create areas that, and as much as we can, we try to turn that sort of space into spaces that uh, serve a function that's associated with people's lives, that may be socializing, that may be cooking, that may be relaxing, that may be detoxing. We have some spaces where people can detox. You can't use your phone, so you can detox from... Oh tech stuff because uh -huh. we spend a lot of time doing that or as a space where people can can exercise mm -hmm. so so yeah so the space essentially what you do have is the physical space and you have all this these uh, these services and you have the community mm -hmm. but the space is, is a mix of uh, habitual space and communal areas or mm -hmm. community spaces okay so what do people use the most well, if my community here was here, I would get them to vote. <laughs> Actually, uh, we have um, uh, we interview our our, our residents, mm -hmm. and we feature um, them in our website because sometimes people want to understand this this exact question: what is it mm -hmm. like to live in a co-living space? Yeah. So why we should tell ourselves? We get them to tell. That's the best. To way. tell the story, that's mm -hmm. the best way because it's real. It's 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 it comes from the horse's mouth. So, so. What tends to happen, we, ac we ask exactly that question. So what's your favorite space in your hive, in, mm -hmm. your, in, the, in your particular co-living space? And every space is a different space. <laughs> you know, it depends very much on the personality of the person. For instance, we have a residence that's very dear to everyone. She's from Hong Kong and, 
and she coming from Asia, she loves this. We in this particular house where she lives, we have a particular proportion of the house that's a conservatory built completely of glass, but there is mm-hmm. a lot of um, a lot of plants in there, and we make sure the music is great there. And and you know it's the sort of space you, you you know you can find some peace. You, you just close the door and and, and and if there isn't anyone else in that space, mm-hmm. you do feel secluded, but you feel surrounded by nature. Mm-hmm. That's her, her favorite space. And she felt actually, um, she she has been living in Europe now for some time. And we asked her, so why is this space? Is about is something about the design? I said, no, there's nothing to do with the design, but it has to do with the fact that it reminds of home. Um, you know, I have been in Europe a few months now, and I, and I haven't yet found a place or a home that it that it feels like uh, the experience of the you know the Asian gardens and things like that. Mm. And and it was something that you know we conceptualized the space. We didn't think much about it, but uh, uh, in terms of how that would look like, or mm-hmm. we want to look like an Asian experience or something like that. But the unintended consequence is that reminder this lady of her home. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And, and, and that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. For, for everyone we ask, I think if you ask 10 of our residents, you're going to get 10 different, ten different qu- <laughs> answers. Uh, I think okay. that, uh, what I would say is there is one pattern that tends to be the, co- the communal areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And the way like you balance between the private areas and the common areas. It's also a big challenge between privacy and sharing your yeah. life. And one of the ways we tend to do this, and uh, you know, as we scale, we don't know how we we are going to approach this. But so far, we have had some success in this mm-hmm. by um, creating different access to different proportions of uh, of of. Uh, the house of the building. So imagine like when you are in a hotel, what it tends to happen, you have this massive corridor and then you have, I don't mm-hmm. know, 30, 40 rooms. Yeah. In our space, we don't like that. For us, we don't like the corridor. Mm-hmm. What we make sure, try to make sure is that there are maybe uh, a small corridor leading to four or five rooms and there is a small corridor leading to uh, four or five rooms the other side, mm-hmm. the other side of the building. And then at the back of the building, there is there is another set of, of um, people living on that side of the building. So that's one of the ways we have found to, to minimize that sense of, uh, you know, traffic here in Tereslav. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when we met, you told me about the walls, the thickness of the walls, that it wasn't the thing that you had to fix. I, I think, yeah, one of the challenges that we have okay. to conquer is this is the fact that every building unless you're building from the ground every bring, building um, uh, brings different challenges but one of the things you need to get really good at is uh, thermic insulation and sound soundproofing mm-hmm. um, and you're absolutely right at the beginning we as we develop the space we used to test ourselves so before anyone leave there would sleep there and think actually does it feel right does it so if i shout here you mm-hmm. know can you hear on the other side we start to go in the mindset of the user mm-hmm. and then that was an expensive thing you had to do because when we build our first space we start to realize that people could overhear each other to a certain extent and mm-hmm. we said actually we're going to have to um 
bring to the brick again uh, and, and find another solution. We ended up working with architects to find the right amount mm-hmm. of proofing, soundproofing that needs to happen. But again, I think the, the, the first and foremost thing that if anyone that's hearing this wants to get in co-living, that would say it would be a, a big suggestion is like try not to get bogged down by the, the space, the numbers, the, the brand, but really try to think of putting people's um, well-being ahead of your own interest as an as a operator and, and try to build a space that really promotes people's well-being, that y- y- you know that people are going to have a great time there. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, get really pedantic about these issues, mm-hmm. you know. There is no such a thing as, like, it's okay. Yeah. I can hold behave myself, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you tested yourself. You know, in many, like, because I travel in many places, I always have this thing, this thought that if the owner would just spend two days in the flat, he would know that, I don't know, like, walking to the kitchen, the floor is really cold, so maybe he will provide me slippers or going, just like small details that make you makes you feel like somebody took the time to to consider what is comfortable for you and what is good for you so by putting yourself there that's actually the best way of checking it well uh, that's something that uh, it's an uh, it's a rule in our company if you want to work with us you have to live in this space and you need to come back with a whole bunch of notes about things we had to do Oh, to do better. Wow. Mm-hmm. So whenever there is an opening, you know, uh, uh, I get like, uh, I fly to the UK and I sleep in the house. So it's an opportunity for me to talk to residents. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we we really get our hands dirty. Sometimes I, I, I send an email to everyone and say, guys, I'm cooking today. Yeah. <laughs> so I can just hear from the experience. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes I do get a whole bunch of complaints. Oh, you know, I... You should have thought about this differently. That didn't happen three months ago. What's happening now? Then the question is, why is happening now? So, mm-hmm. um, is there something can we do about it? You know, if something can, about, can do about it, uh, we absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you open new locations now in Portugal, I guess like the choice of location, it's it's challenging. So, what is important for you when you think about making a new co-living space in a building? Well, the, the way I tend to think about this, I think, what's important for you as the user? <laughs> as the user, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I try to put myself in the shoes of my users. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I think if I was leaving this location, you know, uh, the first thing I do is like, I actually walk to the, the closest transport. I go and walk myself. Mm-hmm. Is it a pleasant journey? Is it, you know, what's the frequency of the journey to the main hubs of the city where people need to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I tend to to look is what can I create a, a great experience in this space? And one of the challenges sometimes you tend to find in Lisbon is that the, the building may look beautiful from the outside, mm-hmm. but I can't create, you know, good enough co- uh, communal spaces or the rooms are going to be... Um, uh, I know I'm going to get uh, issues with soundproofing or, or mm-hmm. insulation. Then I also look for something quirky about the space. Oh. Yeah. You know, what about that interesting room that you don't quite know what you do with it, but maybe there is a whole bunch of great ideas that could do this. Mm-hmm. And you find that there are certain walls, certain 
places in a building that define, almost give you, it, you know, uh, uh, an element of uniqueness. Mm-hmm. The character. The character. Yes. And, and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm constantly looking for that. If the building looks too polished, mm-hmm. it looks too much like, you know, um, I don't know, like a bit of a hospital, everything white. Yeah. And I know I can, I can do some amazing things with the team around, uh, mm-hmm. uh, around um, you know, interior design, but sometimes that's not, that's not enough. That sounds mm. cool. That sounds really cool. I want you to tell me if you can please share about the challenge that you had to face, like developing uh, the space, like the the concept or the or the building itself. Just like a challenge you can recall. Are there many challenges? Uh, just, just choose <laughs> how one. Much, uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> I, I think the first uh, the first challenge we faced was, and and when you talk about real estate, we talk about um, a large proportion of money mm-hmm. and we didn't know whether people were going to take that up I mean it, we, we heard from uh, anecdotal information in terms of from our focus groups and everything but we have to you know invest maybe over half a million pounds before we know whether someone would actually leave there and that was a bit nerve-wracking mm-hmm. to go and create a space that a product that you have to put so much money into mm-hmm. it you know, um, before knowing whether people uh, are, are gonna take your idea forward, mm-hmm. and and sometimes as entrepreneur you need faith, you know, um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, come up with this concept. You know, that what's the minimum viable product in co-living? The minimum viable product for you is probably way more expensive than any other mm-hmm. product. Yeah, and mm-hmm. but another thing that's unique to me, I I I. At least me as entrepreneur, when I believe in something, I just go for it. I just, I, I, I have to, I, I, yeah, I have to go out there and and do it. And and for me, making a minimum viable product doesn't sound right for me in Colombia because if I want to transform people's experience, if I just want to give them a place to sleep, mm-hmm. then maybe a minimum viable product may be right. But I want to transform people's expectations and aspirations in terms of what what a um, living space looks like and feels like. I see. So, like in your model, sorry that I don't remember it, do you lease or buy the building? Uh, We both both develop and operate. Uh, The vast majority of the uh, co-living operators today, they they operate only means they lease a building Mm -hmm. or they rent from someone and then they convert. For us, we decided to start developing straight away. Okay. And there are very few of us that develop, develop. And the reason for that is because part of the thing that we realized quite early why co-living could be a solution for people is because most people sharing, most people sharing, uh, they were sharing a space that was designed, designed for a family. Mm-hmm. And that brings a number of challenges for them because the kitchen was not supposed to be shared. And all of a sudden you have a kitchen that was supposed to be, uh, was made for one person to cook and we have two to three people try to cook, cook at the same time. And at the same time we have the whole house infrastructure in terms of the plumbing, the, the, um, the electricity board, all these things that you're not prepared for a, a, a group of people to use. Mm-hmm. So therefore, our concept from the beginning, we realized that had to be purpose-built. Even for retrofitting a place, it would bring to the brick and rebuild again. Mm-hmm. 
today we uh, acquire buildings and redevelop and we operate buildings uh, in which we lease. We do both. But if you look at the vast majority of our buildings, uh, acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And for entrepreneur, that's one of the greatest things you can do. We still learn quite a lot. I mean, co-living is such an emerging, uh, is an emerging, uh, such an emerging segment of the real estate sector. For instance, in, when we talk about technology, is one of the things I think we want to talk about, and we didn't perhaps go deep enough into this. But one of the things that came out that was a big surprise from the surveys we have done and, and research that has been done, not only by us but by other people, that millennials, even though they tend to be a little bit more cost conscious than other than previous generations, mm -hmm. they are prepared to spend 20% more on a living space if that space is it's it's a smart tech space. Oh, wow. It has because the right the comfort. Right. I think the comfort and the convenience. I mean, we tend to say that, you know, internet in our spaces is as essential, if not more essential than water. <laughs> <laughs> or oxygen. Or oxygen, you know, like, and yeah. that's, that's the reality for this generation. So technology has been one of the, not only has been a blessing for co-living in the sense that as entrepreneurs of, of, of a new segment of the real estate sector, that's the main way we are disrupting the real estate sector because, I mean, most developers, they're still operating like they used to operate 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're listening enough or being curious enough about the users. And, and the other thing has been a massive challenge because a lot of the solutions that we need doesn't exist. So we have to really go and try to find things that have been developed for other industries and then adapt to co-living. Please or, give, give an example, please. Maybe somebody have something that you can share with you or she. Uh, like, what kind of solutions do you need and are not developed yet? I'll give you, a, I'm not going to give you one, but I'll give you a couple of solutions. Okay. Okay. One mm -hmm. technology, one outside technology. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to give both because eco-living is all about innovation of application. And the innovation application doesn't come simply from technology. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an obsession with technology these days. And mm -hmm. we think that actually good solutions are only good, good solutions when they are technology solutions. And I think there is more to that. I think one innovation we felt that actually would be important for people to be able to uh, uh, pretty much personalize the temperature of the room, mm -hmm. but also to allow for their own um, weakness as a human being. For instance, one of the challenges <laughs> we tend to find is that sometimes people either leave the heating on when mm -hmm. they get into their, into their, uh, into their living space or they, f they forget it on where they leave the space. Uh -huh. So either you have this experience that all of a sudden, halfway through your experience of sleeping that night, you find this, the, the space gets too hot. Too hot, yeah. And you wake up because like, oh my God, it's mm -hmm. too hot. Or you leave the space and the heating goes on and then you find yourself paying a massive bill at the end of the month. Yeah. And we couldn't find any solution in the market. And I started to go to various tech meetings and I met this guy out of the blue that was starting his startup and, and he had a solution to do exactly that, but it wasn't proven. Um, you know, he had created already a, a couple of prototypes and we said to him, like, can you give us these prototypes? Mm -hmm. And are you willing to, to test this and, you know, we'll pay if it all goes wrong. And he said, listen, 
listen, it can go really right or it can go really bad. So I don't want to be blamed if the thing doesn't work and you have to go and spend money retrofitting this and has worked really well. Mm. And I'm not going to name him, but uh, <laughs> his, his startup won the best startup in the UK last year. Wow. And one of the first kind of customers of this particular individual. Mm -hmm. And the other solution was a lot of people told us like, I can absolutely afford the rent of a nice place, but I can't afford the deposit. Mm, okay. So a lot of the times, you know, you know, particularly, you know, the younger generation, they are, you know, they are trying to make ends meet and they don't, their ability to save money is, <laughs> is not there with the previous generation. It's just because life has got expensive. It's not yeah, that the, the cost the, of living the, is the, different now. The cost of living is different. And it's nothing to do, I think, sometimes think of assuming that actually millennials and the younger generations, they are not as financially astute. And I think quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. this, this new generation is quite financially astute in a way that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. They're quite responsible with their money. They tend to think of budget and how they can find value for money. And I just want to make that clear. Okay. It's nothing to do with them, but it's just life has got expensive. So we got that insight and we start to look for someone who would create a solution for us. And we eventually found after looking for someone and the solution, we didn't even know what the solution was. Went looking for it and we find the solution. Essentially, uh, uh, a young entrepreneur created something that was similar to an insurance product in which uh, we pay our residents pay them a week of their rent as they mm -hmm. move into their space. And that money that's paid covered them for any damage that happened to the house. Okay. Uh, and what it means, we we don't need to hold money for anyone. We don't ask people for a deposit. Wow! And people come to us. So you, you don't. A lot of the people people sometimes come into our conversations with us quite nervous because they know they can afford the rent, but they can't afford the deposit. Like so, how much mm -hmm. the deposit? Can what you tell? What is a normal deposit in, in the, the UK? UK? Can be anything between three and six months. Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot of money. Yeah. yeah, it's quite a lot of money. So you. You use this kind of system when one week of rent is equal to uh, th this kind of like a damage insurance? It's not necessarily a damage insurance, it covers a whole bunch of things. Even mm -hmm. if they decide to stop paying for a period of time, we would be covered. But I think the, more the main thing is actually that wasn't the reason why I want the solution. The mm -hmm. reason why I want the solution wasn't for us to be covered for anything. Even though it helps because it gives safety for us in terms of uh, safety of investment. Yeah. But we have never had an issue because our community, again, is curated. So mm -hmm. we make sure we do stress tests with people to make sure whether they actually can afford the day space. And mm -hmm. some people feel uncomfortable with that. But uh, I think it's important for us that as an operator we are responsible. We don't people... We don't allow people to put themselves in situations in which, they, you know, all of a sudden they're renting, you know. Just to give an extreme example, it's eight percent what they earn, but it's mm -hmm. never that. But I, I just don't don't want that because they want to be in that space. They want to access that space. We don't want that, so mm -hmm. we make stress tests. But uh, but the main solution that we wanted is really uh, to to have to roll out a candidate, a really great person that would be a fantastic addition to our to our community because that person can afford the rent. I just think is unfair. Mm -hmm. That's just beautiful that you th think about it. Again, it's about user experience. It's about helping them what they need. And, and, put, and, put and at the same the time, not putting yourself in danger as a, as a business owner, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, we have been able to find some solutions that are others that we haven't, but uh, mm-hmm. I think we have been lucky in some ways, and let, let's hope we'll continue to be lucky. I have a feeling you're doing more <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay, so please let us share with our listeners where where can they learn more about what you do. So I'm going to share the link to your website and the LinkedIn profile and the Facebook. Yes, I think, you know, if you want to find out what Colleen is about, I would say, yes, do go to our website, but uh, let me tell a specific space. Mm-hmm. Read the resident um, interviews. Yeah. I think it is, you, it's the closest thing to actually experience this space. And it's on the website. It's in the website. If you mm-hmm. go, there is a section there called the latest. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get the stories behind these, these individuals, what they find interesting, what they find not interesting, uh, what they find about the experience of actually uh, living with us and partnering with us. Because for us, you know, it's a partnership. We're mm-hmm. constantly working together to make their experience interesting in their space, their experience valid and making sure that they're by leaving our space they are they are achieving a, a different not only a different lifestyle but a, a, a different state of well-being and the other thing what's quite interesting as well get to the stories behind that there is there is one series that we do called uh, hive creators mm-hmm. and we depend on a whole bunch of people to put this experience together from very large architecture firms to individual architects to interior designers to we like I like to work a lot of creative people to help in, in, interpret the space. So there are painters, muralists, craftspeople oh, uh, that they help us to to create this experience. And, and you know, we we are not the clever people that have a, an entire design system. We do leave a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. for these individuals to, who are incredibly talented in their respective fields to come and influence what we do mm-hmm. and so in the hive creator series you do get that so the you stories can get be- their stories their stories the what they do what they do they're okay. graffiti artists they're painters they're uh, they're uh, craftspeople working with wood recycled wood mm-hmm. um, there are all sorts Brilliant. of people i will definitely check it out and i recommend everybody to do the same and just before we finish there is one question that i ask all my guests and i want to ask you this one as well okay uh, so try to, to, to answer without letting your inner filters affect you, okay? Okay. So this question called the wild napkin. Mm. Okay, so imagine you're in a pub and you had a couple of drinks and you already feel very like your mind is very free and you had the craziest idea. So you take a napkin and you write it down and you put it in your pocket and you know the next day you wake up and you find it there. What does it say? craziest idea there is no limit of not time not money just anything what would it be create a co-living space in space <laughs> in space oh wow <laughs> uh, mars i don't know uh, whatever uh, that would be interesting it would be cool in space so you wanna you wanna like already <laughs> go to a different planet and start it there yeah maybe it'd be i would have had to have maybe four or five drinks not two <laughs> if i had two maybe turning an island an entire island into a co-living space it would be cool oh that's a cool idea i like that okay yeah. we will talk about it later <laughs> <laughs> okay well thank you so much for being with us and sharing your ideas and experience yeah. No, thank you. I mean, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think, you know, um, by seeing what others entrepreneurs have done, I think uh, have always felt empowered by that. And I think in getting these examples out there, 
it's it's something worthwhile doing and very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi guys, it's Adi again. I'm very happy to have you with me and I would like to ask for your help for the next season of the show. The next project I'm going to host will focus on unique experiences. If you've ever been to a place that made a strong impression on you, or if you started one yourself, a retreat center, a sustainable project, art gallery, hotel, somewhere in nature, anything that creates a special experience for the guest. It could be anywhere around the world. So send me the details and maybe you'll be on my show. And until the next time, go out and talk to strangers. It's been a pleasure. Ciao, ciao.